I want to invite you this morning to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we are focused on today. Um, and before we read that scripture this morning, I want to share a quote I came across. Um, I came to discover that it was one of the philosophers known as Aristotle that came up with this quote. And this is what he says. Anyone can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time and in the right way, that is not easy. Did you hear that? Anyone can become angry. It's easy to become angry. But learning to be angry with the right person to the right degree and at the right time and in the right way, it is not as easy. We're in week number three of a series that we started at the beginning of the year called Creature of Habit in which we are discovering what the Bible shows us is God's blueprint for how we are to cast off, remove, or break away from old, sinful, self-serving habits by embracing Christ-honoring habits that are meant to increasingly reflect His presence, His power, and influence in our lives. Now, before I continue this morning, I want to suggest that if you've missed any one of our previous messages so far in this series, you can listen to uh, previous messages by visiting our sermon podcast. We have... Uh, several platforms that we're privileged to be on. Um, you can look at the weekly planner. Um, on the back of it, you'll see a list of all of the different uh, platforms that you are more than free, more than welcome to listen on. And definitely want to encourage you to make yourself, uh, avail yourself to the previous teachings we've covered so far. But what I want to do this morning is focus on Paul's writing in the book of Ephesians. And we're going to focus specifically on verse 26 and verse 27. Now, in the same way as we learned last week that your tongue and my tongue has great potential, Paul tells us to bring both great good and great harm to others and to ourselves as well. So also you and I need to understand today that this emotion called anger that we're about to focus on is just as important in our journey to becoming more like Christ. How we manage our anger, how we manage our response to the things that cause displeasure in our lives it is important to God and it must be important to us. According to the dictionary, the word anger is defined as a strong feeling of displeasure and belligerence that has been aroused by wrong. I guess I would add to that, that definition, aroused by our interpretation of wrong, right? Because we tend to sometimes get angry for things we should not be getting angry over. We get angry because maybe we're not, we're not getting our way. We're getting angry because, you know, somebody is doing something that maybe, uh, maybe puts, us at, puts us at a disadvantage or maybe requires some form of sacrifice or, or submission in our part. And we automatically see that as a bad thing. Um, but here's the thing. Not all anger is always um, at the right things. No matter your age this morning, no matter how long you've been walking with Christ, nor whether you're the type to express your frustration out in the open or you keep it inwardly. At various times in all of our lives, anger is an emotion that every one of us has struggled to manage. Back in 2015, I came across a brilliantly written article that I found on a website called uh, Psychology Today. And in it, there was a, a writer who, who wrote this article that she titled, Seven Myths About Anger and Why They're Wrong. I wanna quickly share with you those seven myths that she shared. Her name is Amy Morin. She's a psychotherapist working, uh, serving with psychologists today. In it, Amy begins by describing anger as, this is her words, one of the most powerful and misunderstood emotions. And so in writing this article, she begins to try to debunk common misconceptions about anger that in her opinion tend to lead to a lot of dysfunctional behavior on the part of folks. Um, 
the first myth she wrote is that anger, or the first myth that she, had, she addresses is this idea that anger is a negative emotion. According to Amy, feeling angry is not bad. In reality, anger is a normal, healthy emotion and has been the catalyst for positive change. Yes? Tomorrow, we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We, we honor the life of Dr. Martin Luther King, a man who God used during a very difficult time in this nation's history. And can I tell you that um, Dr. Martin Luther's uh, response to what was happening in his time and day was, was, was an expression of displeasure, disapproval um, at the things that were taking place in society. And God raised people like him to speak up for those who had no voice. So anger, even, if, even though people some tend to think it's a negative emotion, no, it can actually be a catalyst for positive change. The second myth she addresses is that anger is the same thing as aggression. According to Amy, many, way too many people confuse anger with aggressive behavior so that they believe that showing anger is negative. Well, the truth is that there are many healthy ways to deal with anger without having to resort to threats of violence. Yes, we agree? The third myth she addresses is that anger management does not work. She writes that when people lack skills to manage their anger, their emotions can cause problems in all areas of their lives, including relationship troubles, career issues, and legal problems resulting from unhealthy expressions of anger. And then she goes on to argue that anger management classes and therapy have actually proved to be very powerful and effective tools at helping people reduce aggressive behavior. The fourth myth she mentions is that anger is all in your head. How many of you have heard that one before? It's all in your head. She suggests that anger involves more than just one's mind, that when a person feels anger, it affects every other part of their body, including an increased heart rate, shaking hands, and the kind of psychological re response that often fuels angry thoughts and aggressive behavior. The fifth myth she addresses is that venting anger releases it. Punching your pillow, throwing the room, uh, thrashing the room, excuse me, screaming to your heart's content doesn't actually release your pent-up rage. Yes, years ago I heard, you may have heard it in the news, apparently here in Houston there was this, I guess for the lack of a better word, amusement park, <laughs> where you could actually go and release your rage. And uh, they had these old cars, you know, cars that are rusted and beat up, and they would have them all over this field. And you would come there, give them, give them a small token fee for, for providing this, this service. And they would give you a, a mallet, and you could go to town on anything that was in that parking lot. And it was this idea that you're supposed to just bend. And, you know, you came back from, maybe you left your office, and your boss just got you so angry that you wanted to punch him or her in the face. And you thought, you know, rather than do that and go to jail, let me just go to this place and just punch a bunch of, you smash a bunch of cars to bits, right? There's this idea that somehow when we simply vent our anger, that it releases that anger. What Amy says is that research shows that venting your anger in this way actually has the opposite effect, that in fact, the more you vent, the worse you feel. The sixth myth, she says, is that we ignore, that ignoring your anger makes it go away. How many of you, has that ever worked for anybody? Ignoring your anger makes it go away. Some people think that that's the case, but here's what she says. Suppressing anger isn't healthy either because smiling to cover up your frustration, denying your angry feelings, or allowing others to treat you poorly in an effort to keep the peace can cause your anger to actually turn inward. And suppressed anger has been linked to various physical and mental health issues from hypertension to depression. And then here's the last thing she addresses, that men are angrier than women. Mm -hmm. Nobody's, nobody's saying anything over this. 
Men are angrier than women. Research consistently shows that men and women experience the same amount of anger. They express it differently. While men are more likely to be aggressive and impulsive in their expressions of anger, women are more likely to use an indirect approach. Hmm. Like cutting someone out of their lives. Right? <laughs> but here's the point of sharing all of this. And, and, uh, if you get a chance, I would encourage you to go and read that article. She, she makes a powerful, powerful point about, about anger and, and why it's not something that we should, on one end, treat like it's, um, it's, it's a bad, bad thing, but on the other end, ignore some of the potential dangers that might exist if we do not make sure that our anger is kept in check. But, but the point I'm trying to focus on this morning is this. God cares about how you and I handle our anger. And the Bible has valuable advice to help us to navigate this complicated emotion. Here's the point I hope you will take away as we go through today's message. Um, and, and it's this. Our struggle with anger isn't about whether we should express our anger. The struggle is what we do because of our anger. This is where the, the God wants us to, to turn our attention to. This is where God wants us to focus on when we talk about managing anger. God is not saying to you and I that anger in and of itself is wrong. Because God gave us that emotion. It is a natural, healthy response to the things that happen around us or to us. Of course, sin, like anything else, um, has distorted, has corrupted the way we manage our anger, the way we use this emotion called anger. But at the end of the day, it's not about whether you and I can express it or not. It's about what we allow anger to do to us because we're angry. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and verse 27, we're going to see the Apostle Paul give us very simple but very straightforward advice and it is this, be angry. Everybody say, be angry. be angry. And yet, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. In those two verses, there's a mouthful of what, of, that, that, Paul wants, that Paul, I believe, wants to, wants to address with us today. We are not, we have to be angry where well, we are allowed to be angry, but we must not sin because we are angry. We must not allow the sun to go down on our anger and we cannot give the devil an opportunity because we are angry. There are three important considerations that the Apostle Paul gives us that I want to share with you this morning. And I'm not sure that for the sake of time I may be able to get through all three, but I'm going to do my best to do so this morning in the amount of time that we have left. The first thing that Paul shows us about how we manage anger, no matter the situation we find ourselves in is this. Number one, that Satan is always on the lookout for a chance to tempt you and I to sin. As we consider how we are to manage anger in a biblical way, in a Christ-honoring way, we must always remember that the enemy of our souls, Satan, the devil, is always on the lookout for a chance to tempt you and I to sin. Paul in verse 27 tells us that we should not give the, the devil the opportunity by way of, of how we manage our anger. In verse 26, we've already seen established, Paul says that anger in, in and of itself is not a sin. Of course, as I mentioned, just as everything that, that exists in human nature has been corrupted by sin, what God has given you and I to reflect Him and to also re re reflect His righteous indignation against sin tends to always be used in ways that are hurtful or even destructive for others. Unfortunately, while you and I can tend to downplay our flesh's tendency to express anger in a sinful, sinful selfish way, also understand this morning that Satan is fully aware of your tendency, your predisposition to mismanage this emotion called anger. And he's always looking for an opportunity to take advantage, to take advantage of you and I so that we express our anger in a way that does not honor Christ. 
So in other words, as the Holy Spirit is continually working in us to make us more like Christ, Satan is continually working to get you and I to fail in how we manage this emotion. If there's one thing that you can hold on to and I hope you would embrace, and and in fact, keep at the back pocket of your mind, not just today, but every single day. Why? Because you're going to encounter situations that will provoke your anger. You're going to encounter circumstances that will provoke your anger. But that you always remember this, Satan is an opportunist. Always remember that Satan is an opportunist. He is always looking for an opportunity. This is why 1 Peter 5 8 tells us to be of sober spirit. Paul Peter says, be on the alert. Why? Because your adversary, not your friend, right? Not, 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 not some, not some uh, inconsequential figure or character in this, in this story of, of, of God's um, desire to engage humanity and, and, to, and to turn away or to turn back the, the forces that seek to get in the way of that relationship. We must understand that our adversary, the devil, is always prowling around like a lion, Peter says, seeking someone to devour. Now, I want you to note in that verse, the first warning is to be of sober spirit. In the Greek, that word sober spirit, or as some other translations put it, sober mind, refers to a person's ability to curb or to control the tendency or the influence of excessive emotions or desires. So he's not only speaking about anger as one emotion, he's speaking about every emotion that you and I express, you know, no matter what it is we're doing or what may be going on around us. We must learn to curb the controlling influence of excessive emotions or desires. Whenever we think of emotions that tend to run wild, most people think of anger. That's the first thing we all tend to think of when we talk, when we think about a person losing control, usually we think of anger. And rightfully so. Why? Because it is usually the first thing that we feel when we interpret a person's words or actions toward us as either disrespectful, hurtful, or marginalizing. You have every right to resist or to respond when somebody treats you in a way that demeans you. God doesn't want you and I to swallow hurtful words or to swallow hurtful um, actions toward us. But he wants us to understand that how we respond to those situations can be the opening that Satan needs to get the kind of reaction that he wants from us that discredits God. And we must always pay attention to that and not allow him to have his way. So the next time you find yourself in a situation that will provoke your anger, stop for a moment and remember... That Satan is looking for a chance to tempt you to sin by how you express anger in that circumstance. There's a reason why the Bible says we are to be slow to get angry. Why? Because part of the reason is that Satan is always looking for a way to take advantage of our emotions, to take advantage of our, our vulnerable state. I'm about to talk about this in the second point and to cause us to sin against God. That second point that I just mentioned, I want to elaborate on, is this idea that not only are we to be on the lookout for Satan's um, efforts to try to tempt you and I to sin against God, but we must also keep in mind that unresolved anger makes you and I vulnerable to his attack. Paul's warning in verse 26 is to not let the sun go down on your anger. You've heard that phrase before. Now, of course, the long-held, and I consider this a misinterpretation of this verse, is that Paul is somehow suggesting that you and I should not go to sleep angry or that whatever issue may, be, may have provoked us to anger has to be resolved before we can go to bed? That's not what he's saying. Because on a practical note, I mean, imagine if it's you and your spouse having an argument. Does that mean you can't go to bed until you've dealt with the issue? Or what about your coworker? Does that mean you cannot leave your office until you and, her, you and that person have resolved that issue? 
No, that's not what the scripture is saying. What the scripture is trying to bring to our attention is this idea that anger doesn't just come and go, but it can be, but, and nor can it be refereed by a timeline. But while resolving anger requires time, you and I must always remember that what we allow anger to do to us is what determines how long it takes from the moment of our emotions being triggered to the moment that it is, re- is, resol- it is resolved. But there, that there's this idea that you and I must determine that we will not allow anger, however long we have to address that issue that triggered it, to remain unresolved in our lives. Because here's the thing, when we allow, the longer we allow the triggers that cause us to become angry to go unresolved, the more likely, and this is probably every one of us we can attest to this, the more prone we are to giving in to decisions and choices and actions that really are not pleasing to God. Because what we're doing is we're allowing that anger to fester. We're allowing that anger to, 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 to take root in our hearts. And, and all it does is it produces that which is not pleasing to God. Look at it this way. Scientists tell us that when you and I become angry, particularly when our displeasure has been triggered by something that has been said or done, there's always a natural physical reaction that occurs. In other words, what they describe is that our stress hormones and our inflammatory proteins become elevated. Why? Because our nervous system has detected a threat. Somebody says something, somebody does something that rubs us the wrong way, that, that we interpret um, in, in a way that makes, leaves us feeling angry or leave, leaves us feeling distressed, tends to then not influence how we respond. And, and depending on how we interpret what's been said, will determine how we choose to respond by um, our angry expressions. But then there's more to this. According to science, when you and I are angry, blood flows to the frontal lobes of our brain. And, and in that process, what then begins to happen is that those, those, those inflammatory proteins that I talked about earlier um, alert our sensory inputs so that now we're reacting from what they believe to be the primitive centers of our brain. In other words, in becoming angry, we become vulnerable to all sorts of irrational, intense, and angry thoughts that will affect our minds and ultimately our behavior. And there's a term that science uses for this phenomenon. They call it temporary insanity. They say that every one of us go through times where when we are so angry, we are so moved by what's happened to us, what's been said to us, that we do experience what they call a brief moment of temporary insanity where we are not able to think clearly. We're not able to rationalize clearly how we're supposed to respond to what's going on in our lives. The point is that anger immediately puts you and I in a position where we become vulnerable and susceptible to taking on a mindset, friends, that might predispose you and I to acting in a way that is self-serving. Why? Because every time you and I get angry, and it's, a res- and it's always a response to something that has been said or that's been done, we're doing so to protect ourselves. The whole point of anger is that we are protecting ourselves. We're putting up a wall to resist what has been said or what has been done. And that is a natural way. That is a natural uh, response that God has given us. But again, because Satan is the opportunist that he is, he will always seek to take advantage of your vulnerability and mine to get us to offend God with our response to others. Again, what happens between anger's inception and its resolution is what makes all the difference in what anger ultimately does to us. So when you see that phrase, do not let the sun go down on your anger, what, Paul, if what Peter is focusing on, I mean, excuse me, about Peter, but what Paul is focusing on is what we allow anger to do to us from the moment that we are triggered to the moment it is resolved. And that's something that we must pay attention to because it is important to God. We must guard against allowing our anger to smolder. 
We must guard against allowing our anger to explode into hurtful words. Hear what Psalm 37 verse 18 says. Stop being angry. Don't, I mean, turn from your rage, excuse me. Do not lose your temper. Why? Because it only leads to harm. This is the scripture. Again, some people may say, well, Pastor John, that's a contradiction. Didn't the Bible just say that we can be angry, we just can't sin? Again, when you look at the, 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 the translations from the, the original writings from which our modern translation is written, that phrase, stopping angry, is not necessarily suggesting that we are not to express anger as an emotion, because again, it is a natural emotion that God gives us. But what it's saying is, do not allow your anger to boil over to the point where you begin to act irrationally. That's what rage is. Rage is not, is not rational anger. Notice that when Christ lived on the earth and, and he ministered, how many times he expressed anger and, and opposition to things that happened around him, we never see him respond with rage. Even when he came into the temple and he saw that the temple was used as a place of, 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 of commerce, when it was meant to be a house of worship, and he started to flip tables and, and flip chairs and was throwing you know, money, money boxes all over the place, we don't sense that Christ was operating out of rage because it wasn't about him. It, it was about honoring the name of his father that was being dishonored by what was happening in the temple. But Jesus, by his example, shows us that even though we have an opportunity to be angry, to express anger when things happen that, that we, we are not in support of, that we must not allow it to cause us to do what is ultimately harmful. Here's a powerful uh, quote I heard that I think drives on this point about being very careful about what we allow our angry feelings or emotions to do to us. This is what the writer says. His name is Friedrich uh, Buchner. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. Interesting thought. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the last tooth, toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are given back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is this. What you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. So he's not suggesting that we're not to be angry, we're not to, we're not to express emotion. But what he's saying is, what are you allowing to do to you? Because if you're not careful, Satan will use the opportunity that we have allowed to be vulnerable to the situations that we're in and to express anger in ways that are not honoring to the Lord. And, and, and what he does is he turns it on us. I know what it's like to be so angry that I could be filled with hatred for a person. And, and in my mind, think that somehow that, that my anger is hurting that person when all the while it's hurting me. And it took a while, but God had to deliver me. And, and I, I had to learn to, to always bring to God those things that trigger anger or hurtful feelings in my own heart so that I don't allow those things to stew, to remain, to fester, and then destroy me from within. And that's something that we all must pay attention to because God's desire regarding how we manage anger is to learn how to view it from a potential point of vulnerability so that we do not allow the enemy to take advantage of us. And here's the last point before we close. Feeling anger does not justify acting sinfully. Paul says in verse 26 that even though it is a sin to feel, to, it is not a sin to feel anger, again, because it is a natural emotion that God has given you and I. But what he says is this, it should never become an excuse or a reason or a cause for, for acting sinfully. God will never at any point, 
ever say to you and I that when we acted sinfully and it was in response to because, because we felt angry that it was okay. He would not rationalize, he would not just, justify, he would not excuse any sinful behavior because he's God. And, and, to, and, to, and to excuse sin would be out of character with God. To me, it's like, for example, two friends getting into an argument. One of them gets angry, pulls a knife or a gun, and kills his friend, all because he's angry. Is it justified? No. Or, for example, a person says, well, you know, they, they try, you know I, I get upset, you know, I, I, I have a bad temper, I explode, and then it's all over with. But the person, but, but, then, but yet the point is, yes, you may, you may vent and explode and, and feel like you're, you're better, but what about, what about the damage you've done with the words you've said? Because those can't be undone. What's been said has been said. What's been done has been done. So the idea is that even though we are given the freedom to express anger, we are never given the freedom to use that emotion that God has given us to do what violates who he is. Psalm 4 verse 4 teaches, Be angry and yet do not sin. On your bed, search your heart and be still. It speaks to motive. It speaks to motive that, that what guards our hearts against sinning against God or offending God by how we express our anger is when we, we check our hearts and we make sure God is what I'm upset about. Is it about me or is it about you? Is it ultimately about what I want or is it about doing what is right? Is it about having my way or is it about letting your will be done in my life? This is why Galatians 5 tells you and I, and it's important that we make note of this, that one of the signs that you and I are operating in our flesh and not in, according to the Spirit of God is when we are expressing anger with fits of rage. Paul says it is not a product of the Holy Spirit's leadership. God does not excuse those outbursts of anger. So we should not allow anyone to guilt us into thinking that expressing anger is wrong because it is an emotional reaction but just as easily, we should not allow anyone to suggest to us that it is okay for us to use our anger in a ways that do not please God and that somehow God is okay with it. No, that is not the case. The Bible says, be angry, but do not what? Sin. And, and sin is not what I think it is or what you think it is. It's, sin is what God says it is. And what is sin? Sin is anything that violates his moral character, his standing, who he is and what he represents. So if we are expressing our anger and it's, we're doing so in ways that are not glorifying God or honoring God or standing for what God stands for, then we need to check our hearts and make sure that that anger we're expressing is being expressed for the right reasons. Because again, as I, I want to remind you, as Aristotle said, anyone can become angry. Anyone can be. But, but the issue is, are you angry with the right person? Are you angry about the, to the right degree at the right time and in the right way? God's desire is that you and I learn to see anger as an emotion that he has given us, but we are responsible to manage. Again, God is not suggesting that when things happen to you or around you, that you're just supposed to look the other way or pretend it didn't happen or just allow it to roll over you. No, God wants us to respond. When there is righteousness happening around us, whether it is to us or it's somebody else, we, we are called to speak up. We are called to step up and to respond. And sometimes the response can, be, can, can come in the form of, of action. Sometimes it comes in the form of words. Sometimes it comes in the form of just being, coming alongside a person and, and, and ministering to that person. But when we see uh, unrighteousness happening around us, we must be willing to respond. That is our calling in Christ. But how we do so matters to God. I'll be the first one to tell you this morning that, that I've had so many times in my own life where I've expressed anger in, in ways that were not pleasing to God. And after I expressed that anger, regret, 
wishing I could go back and take, take all of everything that I said, everything that I've done. I could go back and do it over again. And, and, and knowing that, that that can never happen. But, but, but you know, as much as, yes, I know that I can't go back, I can learn today from the mistakes I've made. I can look to God for direction and I can, I can keep pressing forward knowing that with every day that I'm walking with Him and with every day that I'm submitted to Him and allowing Him to, to lead me in how I express my emotions, how I live for Him, that my life will more and more reflect who Christ is. I've said this before, the Word is not looking for perfect people. What the Word does not need is perfect people. We don't have the capacity to be perfect. But what the Word needs to see is that when we have a relationship with Christ, that that relationship is changing us. That that relationship is influencing how we live and how we speak and how we treat our neighbor and how we respond to the things that happen around us. The goal is not that we can express anger, it's what we are allowing anger to do to us. Check your actions, check your words, check your attitudes and make sure that you're not doing anything that is displeasing to God because if you are, you're going to answer to Him for that. God will never ever justify what we do because we're angry. And that's a lesson that I'm learning every single day. I'm being taught, I'm growing in every single day, and I pray that you would also embrace that lesson as well. I want to invite you to buy heads with me this morning as we pray. God in heaven, I thank you for your opportunity that you've afforded us today, God, to read your word and to be reminded in your word that, God, anger is, is nothing, there's nothing wrong with anger in and of itself, but it is what we do with our anger. It is what we do because of our anger that matters to you, God. How many times in my own life, Lord, I've, I've gotten angry, God, because, Lord, it was about me. It was about what I wanted and was not getting and, 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 and prioritizing my own feelings above others or even above yours and, 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 and expressing that selfishness, Lord, in outbursts of anger. Words spoken that never can take back, things done that I can never can take back. And God, I'm grateful to you that God, while, 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 we, are, while we are reminded, Lord, this morning about the, the potential that is in all of us, Lord, to mismanage this emotion you've given to us, Lord. God, I'm more importantly grateful that, Lord, your word shows us that, God, even when we struggle, God, that we can come to you, God, we can call on you, God, and we can trust that, God, you will help us, Lord, to, to, to be who you want us to be, to, to live the way you want us to live, to express our emotions, Father, in a way that is pleasing to you, that, that serves the purpose, Father, for you giving us these emotions to begin with. God, I ask you, Lord, that every single day, no matter where we are, who we're with, or what we're doing, whether we're at home, on the job, on the road, in our communities, Father, at school, God, I pray, everywhere we go, God, may Christ be seen in us, Lord. Lord, let nobody here ever feel like, Lord, their struggle with anger, God, is is a faith complete, Lord, that nothing can ever change. God, thank you that, God, we can come to you. God, we can bring our struggles to you, and we can find freedom in you. And God, for whomever may be struggling here today, God, I thank you that even now, Father, your, your grace is available to them. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. God, thank you that even though the enemy may try to remind us, Lord, how, how flawed we are and how much we struggle, um, God, we are reminded in your word that we are a work in progress. And that, God, when we submit ourselves to you and we yield ourselves to you, God, you will take us, Father, and you will remold us, Lord, in the image of your Son, so that our lives and our actions bring glory and honor to you.
Father in heaven, I want to ask this morning that if there's anyone that is here who does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I thank you, God, because your invitation to a relationship is not about church membership. It's not about simply identifying as a Christian. Lord, it's about entering into a relationship that you have made possible through the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that, that our sin keeps us from relationship with God. But it's only through Christ that we can be reconciled with God. Why? Because Jesus paid the penalty that we should have paid. Father, thank you this morning, Lord, that whomever may be here today that desires a relationship with you, that wants to know you, not just know about you, but they want to know you, God, that today will be the day of salvation for them. That when they call on your name, Father God, that, Lord, you will respond to them. And by faith, they will believe, Father God, that you are not a man that you would lie, but you are true to your word. You will forgive the repentant heart. And that, God, you renew a right spirit within. And so, God, I pray, renew, Lord, the heart of anyone here today who desires to follow Christ the Savior, Lord. And let this day be the beginning, Father, of a, of a walk with you, a life-changing walk with you, encounter with you, that will bring glory to your name. God, thank you for your word. And may we continue to be hearers and doers of your word, Father. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen.